Sahita Krishna Chaitanya Devam Shri Radha Krishna Padam Sahagana Lalita Shri Vishakam Vitamstra Vanchakapa Chubhishtra Kipasana Vyavata Patitam Pabane Vyavajna Vinamon Maha So it's May 26, 2020 uh, class from Gainesville, Florida over Zoom we're going to be reading from Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 3 Chapter 14, Pregnancy of Diti in the Evening Text 5 so, uh, first we're going to summarize the 14th chapter. So, the 14th chapter starts out with... Oops, now I just totally lost my place. Give me a second. She said, I'm glad they'll be killed by Vishnu and not by, not by the Brahmanas. He said, and because of your repentance, you will have a grandson. Uh, that's Prahlad Maharaj, who will be a great devotee of the Lord. So, the... The story of the demon starts out with basically bad timing. That timing is important. We have in the Bhagavad Gita the demarcation sometimes between the modes of passion, goodness, and ignorance is just a question of timing. So a good thing, Kasyap uh, uh, had many wonderful, wonderful children, and Diti also had some wonderful children. She had the Maruts. So the, it's not that the relation between husband and wife, that there's anything wrong with that, or producing children, that there's anything wrong with that, but timing is, can be important. The, the timing, the attitude, the mood can change something, anything, from a very good thing to a very good, to a very bad thing. And I think we have that experience in our own life, that getting the, getting the timing right is crucial. Anyway, so that's the, the context of this chapter. Text 1 through 4 have been Vidura's questions. Hey, I'd like to hear more about this. I'd like to hear more about what's going on. Please tell me more about the, especially the incarnations of the Lord, the pastimes of the Lord. Uh, please give me more detail about the Lord's appearance, about the Lord's activities. He was very inquisitive. Okay, so now we're going to start with the answers today in text 5 by Maitreya. Maitreya Uvacha Sadhu Vira Twaya Prishtam Avatara Katam Hare Yatram Prichasi Marjanam Ritupasha Vishantanim and please chant. Maitreya Uvacha. Maitreya said, Sadhu, devotee, Vira, a warrior, Twaya, Bayu, Prishtam, inquired, Avatara Katam. Topics on the incarnation of the Lord. Harehe. Of the personality of Godhead. Yet. That which. Trum. Your good self. Prichasi. Asking me. Marjanam. Of those who are destined for death. Ritu Pasha, the chain of birth and death. Vishatanam, sorry, Vishatanim, source of liberation. 
Srila Prabhupada's translation. The great sage Maitreya said, O warrior, the inquiry made by you is just befitting a devotee because it concerns the incarnation of the personality of Godhead. He is the source of liberation from the chain of birth and death for all those who are otherwise destined to die. Purport. The great sage Maitreya addressed Vidura as a warrior, not only because Vidura belonged to the Kuru family, but because he was anxious to hear about the chivalrous activities of the Lord in his incarnations of Varaha and Nisinga. Because the inquiries concerned the Lord, they were perfectly befitting a devotee. A devotee has no taste for hearing anything mundane. There are many topics of mundane warfare, but a devotee is not inclined to hear them. The topics of the warfare in which the Lord engages do not concern the war of death, but the war against the chain of Maya, which obliges one to accept repeated birth and death. In other words, one who takes delight in hearing the war topics of the Lord is relieved from the chains of birth and death. Foolish people are suspicious of Krishna's taking part in the battle of Kurukshetra, not knowing that his taking part ensured liberation for all who were present on the battlefield. It is said by Bhishma Dev that all who were present on the battlefield of Kurukshetra attained their original spiritual existences after death. Therefore, hearing the war topics of the Lord is as good as any other devotional service. Maitreya Uvacha Sadhu Vira Twaya Prishtam Avatara Katam Harehe Yatvam Prichasi Marchyanam Nitu Parsha Visatanim. The great sage Maitreya said, O warrior, the inquiry made by you is just befitting a devotee because it concerns the incarnation of the personality of Godhead. He is the source of liberation from the chain of birth and death for all those who are otherwise destined to die. So, we have this lovely word here, Sadhu Vira. So, Vidura is called Sadhu Vira, a devotee warrior, a devotee hero. And he's asking about the war pastimes of the Lord. He wants to hear more about them. So Maitreya gave a little hint and he wants to hear more. So Prabhupada makes the point that ordinary war is simply about death. I mean, right? Duh. <laughs> ordinary war is about death. Shiva Prabhupada writes in the Bhagavad Gita about the demons that they develop weapons just to accelerate the death which is already guaranteed to everyone. And uh, even the soldiers, they say, what, war is hell. Right? Even those who are, are warriors, even those who are soldiers, even those who are generals, they say, war is hell. Ordinary war entangles us more and more in this cycle of birth and death. There was a great American general, George Patton, and he believed in reincarnation. He remembered his previous lives. And he, he would sometimes go to a battlefield and he would say, I've been here before. I fought such and such battle here. So he fought many, many wars. He was a warrior for many lifetimes and simply entangled him in more and more and more uh, lifetimes in this world. People fight over real or perceived insults and hurts and resources and they 
die with animosity towards their enemy, and again they take birth again and fight again, just like Chitraketu, who was also a warrior. He had a, a son who died early, and Prabhupada noted that that son had been an enemy in his previous life. You know, I, I even know of some devotees who were told by astrologers, I mean, I take... I believe in astrology, but I don't believe in all astrologers. But anyway, who were told by some astrologers that they had died fighting on the battlefield. And they hated each other so much that they were meditating on each other to such an extent that they got married in this life so they could fight uh, again in a different way. <laughs> and, and that happens. That happens. You know, people who are engaged in war... They become brothers or spouses or parents and children. Uh, so they go, they go on fighting, and often this fighting spans generations. Like we had uh, in America, the Hatfields and the McCoys, they were fighting for generations. You know, the Protestants and the Catholics in Northern Ireland, the Arabs and the Jews in the Middle East, the Hindus and the Muslims in and, and Pakistan. I mean, there are these fights that are going on and generation after generation after generation takes up the, the fight and they don't even know what they're fighting over anymore. Why is the United States and Russia uh, at an enmity? Why? What are we fighting over? What is, what is the enmity about? Uh, we don't even know, but you know, our politicians will get up. These are our enemies. <laughs> and so war just perpetuates violence, perpetuates hatred, perpetuates attachment, it causes, uh, the intention of war is to cause harm for one's own uh, pleasure. And this is, is it not the, the best definition of evil? That I take pleasure in being the cause of pain to another living entity, like Magrari, who enjoyed half-killing the animals. So devotees may naturally say they want nothing to do with war. Ritu Pasha, it's a, it's a rope of death, this war. Of course, uh, war has gone on in the material world from the beginning of time. They go on even among the Devas. Uh, they go on even the Indra, Kartikeya, battling with Bali and so forth. Huh? And of course, it's not just war. Uh, it's any material activity that are, that are all these material activities are reflections like the banyan tree reflected upside down in the water they are all reflections of some spiritual rasa as Prabhupada explains in the Nectar Devotion preface everything we do is to enjoy some sort of pleasure and there's some classes where Srila Prabhupada talks about the ghastly rasa and how he one time saw a man enjoying killing chickens and having the chickens jump around without their heads. He said he was taking pleasure in this ghastly scene. And Srila Prabhupada said, if you want to enjoy the real ghastly rasa, then you will worship Yasingadev, who was putting on a garland of intestines and tearing out Hiranyakashipu's heart and so forth. So here Vidura is anxious to hear about Varaha and Nisingadev. Because why are people engaging in war or, or anything and anything of any of the Rasas, even if it's love, you know, even if it's comedy, any of the Rasas? Wonder, 
compassion, you know, what we want to call the nice rasas, or if we want to look at the bad rasas like fear and anger and ghastliness. Of course, war has some element of chivalry also, so it's not just ghastly. It's, it's anger, fear, ghastliness, and chivalry, and probably some friendship also, because you make friends with your, the buddies on your side. So why all of these rasas, when we try to enjoy them separately from Krishna, they simply get us into trouble. I mean, anybody can understand this. I'm During this pandemic, I ended up uh, locked down in a devotee's house here in North Carolina. And uh, this morning, in order to teach this class at this time, there would be some difficulty with my getting breakfast. So I text her and I said, there's some fruit on the prasadam self in the refrigerator. Is it okay if I eat it? So why did I do that? Because when I'm staying in someone else's house, I'm not just going to go in the refrigerator and take something and eat it. Right? That's called stealing. And if I, tr- if I were to treat my friend like that, if I say, well, I'm in her house, I'm going to enjoy her things separately from her, separately from her permission, separately from her company, then I'm going to always be in a state of anxiety. I'm not going to be happy. And of course, then she may throw me out of her house. So if we try to enjoy rasa by stealing from Krishna, separately from Krishna, independently from Krishna, we look at the world and we say, oh, the world is here for me to enjoy, for me to take pleasure separately from Krishna, then I become entangled. And I have to take one body after another after another to try to enjoy this material rasa. But all of these rasas are ones that Krishna wants us to enjoy. He wants us to enjoy them with him, in relationship to him. My friend wants me, she wrote me back, yes, go ahead and eat the fruit. You know, she wants to, I hope, (laughs) enjoy my company. You know, Krishna wants to enjoy our company. He, he He wants us to enjoy his heroism. He wants to enjoy our heroism. Krishna puts Arjuna as the fighter. Krishna is enjoying the rasa the ghastly, angry, fearful, chivalrous rasa of Arjuna fighting. And that is real pleasure. It's it's not that we deny ourselves any of the pleasures, but we have them in their real form. So Vidura here as the Saduvira, what a wonderful name, Saduvira. So he's a warrior, as Prabhupada points out in this purport, in two senses of the term. One, he's a sadhu warrior. Now, for Krishna, like Arjuna. So he's fighting for Krishna. He's fighting in the world for Krishna. For righteousness. For Krishna's purpose. Now, Vidura is interesting uh, by birth. His father is a Brahmana, and uh, Vyasadeva, and his mother is a Shudra. She was a servant of the queen's. And uh, Vidura is often identified with his mother. What we find throughout the Shastra when there's a marriage where the father and mother are different varnas, which of course indicates that women have varna, 
and that they don't automatically become the varna of whatever man they're married to. They have their own varna. But generally, when there's a marriage between a man and a woman of a different varna, the child becomes thought of as more with the mother than with the father, which is interesting. Just like Ramaharshan Sutta, whose father was a Ksatriya and mother was a Brahmana, he was identified more as a Brahmana. So Vidura is often identified more as a Shudra, son of a Shudra, and he's often criticized for that. Uh, we never find that Vidura is identified with his father in terms of a Brahmana, although he was a very wise person. He was, he was acting as a counselor. In, in one sense, he did some Brahminical activities in terms of being a counselor and advisor. But Vidura was considered to be uh, the son of Vichitavirya, because Vyasadeva and Vichitavirya were half-brothers. And in the t- case where a, uh, a man died without offspring, it was allowed, this was allowed in the Bible also, something that's not supposed to be practiced in Kali Yuga, that the husband's brother could then impregnate the wife and those children would be considered her late husband's children. Uh, that could also sometimes be done if the husband was living and couldn't produce offspring. And in any case, I mean, nowadays we have things like that with artificial insemination and, and that sort of thing. In any case, Vidura was identified mostly as the son of Vichitravirya and as Exatria. When Vidura left home, when he became a Vanaprastha, it said he put down his bow. So we may not uh, generally think of Vidura as acting as Exatria, as doing a role in government, in the field of government. But indeed he did. So he was fully acting in the field of government for Krishna. For Krishna. Just like uh, any of us. We have our careers. We have, you know, we have our varna. We have our particular careers. We're in the field of ideas or the field of government or the field of resources or the field of artistry. And then we have our particular job. Maybe we're a painter of fine arts, or maybe we're a musician, or maybe we're a house builder, or maybe we're a college professor. And Mam Anusmam Yujecha, while we do that activity, we dedicate it to Krishna. So in that sense, Vidura was a sadhuvira, and as a warrior, he'd naturally be interested in Krishna's activities as a warrior. Naturally. That would, that would, it was a field that attracted him as an individual, and he'd be interested in Krishna's activity there. But also, of course, Vidura had direct involvement in Krishna's own chivalrous activities. He was on the planet when Krishna was on the planet, Krishna also acting as a Ksatriya in Mathura and Dwarka. And Vidura is part of the family. He was part of Krishna's family. And so naturally he was interested in Krishna's activities as a warrior and Krishna's activities as a warrior in different incarnations. So he's a sadhuvira both in his own activities as a warrior in Krishna's service, and he's a sadhuvira in terms of his own interest in Krishna's chivalrous activities that directly or uh, that didn't directly involve him, or some that did directly involve him. So he wanted to hear about all of Krishna's chivalrous activities. So these, Maitreya is saying here, these are wonderful questions. These are wonderful questions because they relate to the activities of the avatar. 
They're wonderful questions because of the subject matter. Anything that has to do with Krishna is a wonderful question. And they're also wonderful questions because of the eagerness, the enthusiasm, the, the mood of the questioner. Because Vidura also has this, he's, he's full with this rasa. He's asking these questions out of this love for Krishna in the chivalrous rasa. The love for Krishna's ghastliness. <laughs> the love for, for the anger of Nisingadev and the anger of, of Varaha. Uh, because these, the activities of the Lord, even in ghastliness and anger, are all sweet and loving. Rather than perpetuating death, they free one from death. They liberate one. From Krishna's perspective, there, there's no death. <laughs> you know, it's, it's just like a loving parent, you know, or, or other superior in the family. The other day, I went with uh, my granddaughter and her husband and their two sons and to see the chiropractor. And my granddaughter had an appointment and I had an appointment. And their older son, who's two, when we were getting in the car to leave, he saw some puddles of water on the ground. And uh, two-year-olds and puddles have a natural affinity for one another. Uh, I, don't, I don't know of any two-year-old who can resist a puddle. I haven't met them yet. So, you know, this two-year-old goes in the puddle and he's splashing in the puddle. And, uh, he asked me to splash in the puddle. He calls me Grand Grand as his great grandmother, so he's like Grand Grand Water, Grand Grand Water. But I wasn't quite so. I don't think great grandmothers and puddles have a, have that same kind of affinity. And, uh, and uh, one man's food is another man's poison. And I thought, oh, I don't think so with my white sari that I'm going to go stomping in the puddle. So anyway, he's stomping in the puddles, and then he's falling in the wet, muddy grass, and and so forth. You know, and he was having a ball, and, and we didn't we didn't stop him, of course. Uh, but then he was complaining that his clothes were wet, his shoes, of course, were soaking wet. And so when we went home, we changed his clothes. Right? I mean, we, we took off his shoes and put his shoes where they were dry. And, and so what Krishna sees the fighting like changing someone's clothes, as, as Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita. Going from one body to another is like giving up one set of clothes for another. So if Krishna sees that our clothes are wet and muddy, then he may assist us in changing our clothes. And for, and for the demons, that may mean going on the battlefield and fighting with them because they're not willingly going to surrender to Krishna and willingly leave their body in a mystic trance of love. You know, for my great-grandson, he very willingly cooperated with taking off his wet, muddy clothes and putting on dry ones. Like the devotee, when Krishna says, time to go to a new body, the devotee says, yes, my Lord. The devotee sees Krishna like a death, like a little kitten sees the mother cat. But for the demons, when Krishna's like, you know, you're really causing a lot of trouble in that body. You are making a mess. We need to get you out of that body. The demons are like, no! <laughs> Krishna's like, sorry, I'm taking those muddy shoes off, buddy, you know. But from Krishna's perspective, 
it, it's loving, and he's actually liberating them. He's liberating them from, as Prabhupada mentions here, everyone who died at Kurukshetra achieved their original spiritual bodies because they died in the presence of Krishna. Because getting killed by Krishna, they they re- or getting killed in the presence of Krishna, like by Arjuna or by Bhima, that that soul realized the loving relationship of Krishna and experienced that love for Krishna. And therefore, uh, even though that process appears violent externally, they attained their original spiritual forms. And Krishna's experience of fighting, of course, is all blissful. It's all in his eternal spiritual rasas. So this eagerness to hear about the Lord, like Vidura has, uh, no matter who we are, no matter what our occupation, what our mentality this eagerness to hear about the Lord cuts the knots of death, it cuts the knots of attachment. It has us enter into our own eternal form and into the spiritual world. And it is the basis of the Shastra. The Srimad Bhagavatam, the Bhagavad Gita, is all answering questions. And we note that the Lord and the great devotees, they don't even give information that's not asked. Sometimes they'll say, do you have any more questions? Uh, But they're not forcing spiritual knowledge on someone who's not receptive. The questions indicate the receptivity and the speakers become enlivened. Oh, now you, you want it. You want it. You're eager for it. Huh? I'm sure it's like that with us, right? Sometimes we see somebody in a situation and we're thinking, I have some information, knowledge, perspective that would be helpful to them. I wonder if they're going to ask me. Right? And if they don't ask us, we might not say anything. And when they ask us, we're like, I'm so happy you asked. And that gives us an opportunity then Right? To help them, to have a relationship, to bring them happiness, to enliven ourselves. So Rupa Goswami says that this eagerness, this, this being anxious uh, to know about Krishna, to hear about Krishna, this is the only price. And this price enlivens the great devotees, enlivens the Lord who then reveals to us uh, Krishna and then hearing anything about Krishna whether he's pulling out Hiranyakashipu's intestines or whether he's, you know, eating a flower that his friends put in his mouth instead of a sweet ball or whether he's, you know, dancing on the bank of the Yamuna. Uh, any of these activities, uh, they all give us real rasa, real enjoyment. And they, in comparison to the material enjoyment, they're so much more satisfying that we lose our interest in the reflection of rasa and we go to the reality. So whatever eagerness we have, we should fan that. We should associate with people who are eager to ask about Krishna. We should associate with people that when we ask about Krishna, they're eager to talk about Krishna. And we should uh, keep our, our respectful distance from people who are absorbed in the material rasas of this world. So we have uh, 12 minutes for questions. Um, So, okay, we have one written in the chat. 
In the purport we hear from Bhishma Dev, all those who were present on the battlefield of Kurukshetra attained their original spiritual existences after death. By the way, probably not Duryodhan, because he didn't die on the battlefield in the presence of Krishna. Uh, we know of demons such as Hiranyaksha and Hiranyakashipu, who after their third birth went back to their original spiritual identity as gatekeepers. Yes, well that's a specific situation which is also described in the Bhagavatam, why for them they had those three births. Aputana went back to God as nurse, Agasar emerged into the existence of the Lord. Does it mean that demons come from all sources of original spiritual existences? Um, what it means is that everybody who gets killed by the Lord, that that liberates them from their material karma and it gives them the opportunity to arrange, to uh, attain their original spiritual form, which may be in some varieties, and there may be some uh, steps. Like it's explained when Shishupal merged into the body of God, that was an interim stage, and eventually he attained his own uh, distinct spiritual form. So that's explained by our Acharyas. Any other questions? Any questions from Gainesville? Yeah, my question is about questions. Can you hear me okay? Yes, a question about questions, yes. How can we learn to ask better questions, uh, especially in Shumabhagavatam class? How can we learn to ask better questions? Well, we have the austerities, uh, that's a very good question, by the way. Uh, We have the austerities of speech as given in the Bhagavad Gita. So we should ask things that are truthful, uh, pleasing with pleasant language that are based on the Vedas that are beneficial that are going to help others uh, Prabhupada writes in the fourth chapter by Gita with the Tadvadi Praniparshnena Praniparshnena Seveya Upadekshanti Tegyanam Gedinas Tatvadarshinaha verse that blind following is condemned so following without inquiry is condemned and absurd inquiries are condemned so there is one class where, uh, I think it was in Japan, where this guest asked Srila Prabhupada, have you ever met the demigods? And Srila Prabhupada said, why are you asking this question? And he went to benefit. He said, how will it benefit you or anyone else? What good will it do for you or anyone to know whether or not I've met the demigods? He said, why don't you ask if I've met Krishna? He said, if I've met the demigods or not met the demigods, what difference will it make to you? How will it benefit you? So how will, it, how will this question be beneficial? And then pleasant language, respectful language. The topic should be pleasing. We can also certainly examine, because the Shastra is full of questions, we can examine the Shastra, and this would be a nice assignment for somebody. You know, go through the Shastra... And look at all the questions that are asked in the, in the Bhagavatam, in the Bhagavad Gita by Arjuna, in the Bhagavatam by so many persons. Uh, there are also many in the Chaitanya Charitamrita. And then analyze them. Put them into, into categories. Some analytical person. This would be a, a wonderful thing to do. And put them into categories. What kind of questions were they? What was the topic? What were the words used? What was the mood? I mean, questions can also be challenging as long as they're respectful. Arjuna asked challenging questions. He said, we're the same age. How were you talking to the sun god? 
And he says, how are you asking me to engage in this ghastly warfare if you want me to keep all abominable activities far distant and engage in the yoga of intelligence? Uh, we find uh, Brigid asks challenging questions, he said. I, I don't think that atonement is going to be the way to get rid of, of sinful proclivities. I, I don't agree with what you're telling me. You know, what's the real story? So uh, we, we examine them, do a study of them, and then try to have questions in that, in that mood. But the main thing is beneficial. The main thing is beneficial. Uh, the main thing is, is the answer to this question, will it help me? Will it enliven the speaker? Will it help the other people who are hearing? Will, will it be something that will be of, of benefit, of real benefit to everybody? A question? Yes. Um, first, I'd like to clarify something to make sure I understood what you said. Um, what I thought I understood was that uh, the the uh, the who died on the battle of Kurukshetra, they are getting their original spiritual forms was not only due to Krishna being present, but it was due to their witnessing the loving exchange between Krishna and Pandavas. Yeah, in in general, or Krishna's loving exchange with them, that there was some there was some re- because nobody attains their original spiritual form unless they want to. Everything's based on desire. Krishna's not going to force that. You know, I remember many years ago, Rida Nanamar saying how, you know, if you just picked up materialistic people and brought them to the spiritual world, they'd go, oh, what am I doing with all these Hare Krishnas? <laughs> it's, it's, we're in the material world because we want, or, or we're materialistic consciousness because we want to be, although often that doesn't seem to make sense to us. But it, Prabhupada says we can get out just by wanting to get out. So nobody's going to attain their original spiritual form if they don't want to. So the process of dying in the presence of Krishna invoked that desire in them. And, I mean, part of the reason it invoked that desire is just mercy, but that's true for everybody. So because dying in the presence of Krishna removed the covering so they could see Krishna clearly, they could see things clearly. And in that state, they made a choice. That doesn't always happen with the demons. You know, sometimes they see there's Krishna and they, they decide they don't like him. They decide they're envious of him. But yes, so what was your question? Yeah, I was saying, if, it, if their change of heart was due to um, seeing, you know, seeing the pastimes of the Lord as devotees, then it seems that loving exchanges between devotees and Krishna, and maybe even loving exchanges between devotees and other devotees, is kind of a, a pretty effective preaching strategy for getting people to, you know, accept Krishna consciousness is attractive. You know, as yes. And I think I could say, I haven't done, I mean, I'm a social scientist, so I should really do a sociological study. But just informally, anecdotally, I... I would say that a very big reason that people uh, withdraw partially or completely from our International Society for Krishna Consciousness is due to seeing unloving dealings between devotees. And I mean, Prabhupada says specifically in the fourth verse of the Ishapanishad that the six loving exchanges are the purpose of our of ISKCON and nourish ISKCON. So he says that very clearly, that they're, they're what nourishes. And 
it's it saddens me and confuses me as to why members of ISKCON want to take their disagreements public in a very nasty way. You know, I, I just, I really don't get it. You know, I just, it, it, I don't understand it. I, I've had experiences, for example, with Facebook where I, I, two or three times, I had the experience where I posted something on Facebook that was about cows. And there came this, you know, nasty back and forth about whether we should take dairy products or be vegan. And, and I thought, you know, of all the thousands of people who see my Facebook timeline, many of them are not members of ISKCON. Many of them are not devotees of Krishna in any sense of the word. And I thought, what do they, what do they think when they see that a non-political, non-controversial, non-aggressive posting brings out this very aggressive, combative public display among members of ISKCON. And I just like, I just, I really don't understand. And and I, I talked practically to so many people who are no longer actively practicing Krishna consciousness to one extent or another, and the majority of the time, their reasons have to do with relationships between the devotees that are not exuding uh, love and are not exuding the, having a, a relationship with Krishna. So definitely some of our best preaching, to use that word, is, is who we are. <laughs> it's not just convincing people intellectually of philosophy, and it's not even just convincing people of how wonderful Krishna is in, in a theoretical sense, because I don't think that's that difficult. I, you know, our philosophy is uh, exceptionally and amazingly logically and coherent, logical and coherent, and it's extremely attractive. I don't know of any other religion or philosophy that presents such an attractive view of, of, of ultimate reality. Most of them have very little understanding of ultimate reality at all. You know, well, the kingdom of God is nice. <laughs> or, you know, the Muslims who say, well, you get to drink wine and, and enjoy with 72 virgins. And then I always think, well, who are those 72 virgins? Where do they come from? How do they feel about this? You know, uh, yeah, it's, it is, you know, it's not that attractive. I guess to the guy, I don't know. And then how long did they stay virgins? I mean, I don't, I don't know how that works. So, you know, we're, we're really giving a very, very attractive view of ultimate reality. So we should be having the majority of people of the world going, Yes! You know, we've distributed millions and millions and millions of books and plates of prasadam and kirtan. You know, what's the problem? And I, I, at least my personal conviction is that we're the problem. You know, yes, I'm in Krishna consciousness. And it's like... 
People are saying, hey, if that's your idea of spirituality, I don't know if I want it. So, I mean, obviously that's just a minority of our members who do that kind of thing. It's, it's certainly not even half or the majority, but that they can be very vocal and, and very um, public. So, yes, definitely. When uh, I remember Ravinda Surprabhu saying that he joined ISKCON in spite of the devotees. <laughs> <laughs> So we, we should have some, you know, our love for Krishna is also demonstrated by how we deal with other people. And Srila Prabhupada was just so charming. I mean, he could be heavy and he could, he could give people the sauce. But he was so charming. And, and I'll just end with this, that uh, the first time that I personally met Prabhupada, I mean, my, uh, my husband had met Prabhupada when, when, I, when my husband was a brahmachari. But the first time that I met Srila Prabhupada was uh, in 1974 in Chicago. I was already initiated. I'd got initiated through the mail. My father was there. Prabhupada had come for our first Rathiyatra. And we met in Prabhupada's room. We couldn't have been there more than a half an hour. I mean, we were there while Prabhupada was having a discussion with a reporter. Then he was talking to us. Mostly he was talking to my father. Half an hour max that we were in that room. And when we left the room, my father looked at me and said, now I know why you have joined this society. This is a genuine holy man. And, you know, I never asked my father, it's one of the things I would do today if he was still alive, I never asked him what specifically about that half an hour in interaction made you conclude that Prabhupada was a holy man. And, and Prabhupada said some things that were kind of critical of my father, I mean, when he understood that I was my father's daughter, Prabhupada started telling the story of Prahlad and Hiranyakashipu. <laughs> I mean, a year later, my, fa my father became a life member of his country. But... <laughs> the, the point is that, that Prabhupada's way of dealing with people, his demeanor, his... Just that... You thought, oh, oh, this is a saintly person. I want to be like that. If, if, you know, or, or when people met Jayananda, you know, there's, we recently celebrated his disappearance day, and, and people would say, wow, you know, if the garbage collectors can be that wonderful, then I want to join. I want to be like that. I want to be like that. So we should act in such a way that people say, oh, I, I, I want what he's having. I want what she's having. I, I, I want to be like that person. So thank you very much for inviting me. This was a very quick plane trip to Gainesville. <laughs> Cheap and fast plane ride. Nice to be with you all. Thank you very much. Shri Prabhupada Ki Jai.